blessings of life in your son Jesus for what you did for us. And uh, we pray again, thank you for your faithfulness these past sessions that we've had with our brother here. We just look to you again for you to speak to us tonight again through our brother. May the spirit even now indwell and rest on him as he shares from the word. And we as listeners, may our hearts be open and tuned to what your word says for us. Just guide us. May you be honored. And we think of John as, and Barbara as they leave. Bless them, too, in, with safety going home, mm-hmm. with uh, just as they get back into the normal routine of their lives, that if Satan would try to discourage or distract, that you would just be with them and bless mm-hmm. them for their willingness to come. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'll bring you <clears throat> greetings this evening in the name of Jesus. It is a joy to greet you in that name. But I think when I do that, uh, that it feels like a responsibility as well, not just a blessing. And <clears throat> so again, the question would be, what would Jesus have to say to the church at Sandy Ridge I'm going to be looking at uh, his words immediately here. We know uh, this as one of the Beatitudes, one of the blessings there found in Matthew 5. And there have been times when I teach on relationships where I have just parked in the Beatitudes because uh, in many ways the Beatitudes teach us the kind of people we are to be in order to be blessed. Uh, And so if we can be poor in spirit and mourn and meek, uh, hunger and thirst for righteousness, be merciful, pure in heart, all of these are, all of these uh, enable us actually to relate in good ways. But I'm going to focus especially on the work of peacemaking uh, this evening. Uh, we are in a time uh, in a world where there is conflict. And uh, so I'd like to think with you about peacemaking and particularly want you to notice this blessing for those who are peacemakers. Uh, it struck me some time ago that <clears throat> there are different blessings attached to these uh, beatitudes, the for or because which follows the the latter part of the verse. So blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called the sons of God. I think King James says the children of God. Um, The idea here is, if I understand it, is that we take on likeness to God. He loves to call us his sons and daughters when we make peace. God is the greatest peacemaker there ever has been. Uh, Jesus Uh, is referred to as the prince of peace. And so uh, God loves peace. He he is not comfortable with conflict. He is not comfortable with alienation. And the extent to which God went to redeem us, to pull us back, to reconcile us, to come back to him has just been amazing. So God is a peacemaker and he says, blessed are the peacemakers. They shall be called 
the children of God, the sons of God. <clears throat> Peacemaking is a, is a strong theme uh, in the New Testament. And in order to, uh, to see this, I'm going to just look at, I'm just going to read some um, verses from the New Testament here, just noting how strongly the writers urge us to pursue. You'll hear that word, pursue peace. Or sometimes other words are used as well. Pardon me, knock the back off of this clicker. So there we go. So um, what is peace? Maybe first of all, before I go into the, into the scriptures here, maybe look at a definition. Um, be sure that we're understanding this. Peace, we often think of it as absence of conflict. And uh, here's a quote. Um, we tend to understand it as the absence of war or as calmness of spirit, but it's, it, it's not, uh, I want to say it, it, it includes that. So, but along with these ideas, the Hebrew word shalom also carries a greater connotation of well-being, health, safety, prosperity, wholeness, and completeness. And so a peacemaker is someone who works to restore what is broken or incomplete, especially in the context of relationships. So what is peace? It's not just the absence of conflict. It's actually uh, hard to get a hold of the, the full sense of peace. Uh, but again, the, the Old Testament, there's also a reference here to the peace of God. Uh, great peace have those who love your law. Nothing shall offend them. And so we, we have uh, this idea of wholeness, of well-being, of safety, prosperity, and so on. All of that included in this sense of peace. Um, a couple of quotes here from uh, Alexander Strouch in his book, Leading with Love. He says, I have off, actually he's quoting here a rabbi, a rabbi uh, actually who is probably not real favorable toward Christians. But he's, the rabbi says this, I have often wondered that persons who make boast of professing the Christian religion, namely love, joy, peace, temperance, and charity to all men, should quarrel with such rancorous animis, anim, animosity and display daily toward one another such bitter hatred that this, rather than the virtues they claim, is the readiest criteria of their faith. Now, he's maybe being a little hard on us, but uh, we have to pay attention to that. Alexander Strouch goes on to say then, Bible-believing churches that enjoy 95% agreement on all fundamental doctrinal issues will fight and divide over the most petty differences. And so that, again, kind of hits us. And we say, ouch, Lord, uh, that's true. There are times when people uh, divide. They leave the church over things like and the trivial issues, facial hair or uh, what, ball games or uh, all sorts of trivia that people will, will divide over when um, and maybe forget uh, how, how united we profess to be at least around Jesus. So now the uh, scriptures uh, that I was mentioning there, pursuing peace. So in Romans 12, 18, if it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Chapter 14, verse 19, therefore let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify 
another. 2 Corinthians 13, 11. Finally, brethren, farewell. Become complete. Be of good comfort. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Ephesians 4, 1 to 3. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Uh, and I do want to say here that uh, this one, to keep, is actually to protect what is already there. It's not uh, arrive at peace. It, there is something inherent in the work of God in us that puts us at peace with him and with each other. So protect it, guard it, keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Second Timothy 2, 22 to 25, flee also youthful lust, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. And then he gives a bit of the other side. He says, but avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient in humility, correcting those who are in the opposition. Hebrews 12, 14 and 15, pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord, looking carefully lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble. And by this, many become defiled. Peter, actually quoting from the Psalms, says, He who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good and let him seek peace and pursue it so you you hear these these uh, references this is not exhaustive it's just an example and especially chose those that urged us to pursue uh, peace a peace of a very strong theme uh, in the scriptures God loves peace he does not want to see his children in conflict we could ask uh, what causes conflict, and I'm going to just, I, I won't be able to actually go to these scriptures and read them uh, for the sake of time, but just kind of looking at where does it come from? Where does conflict come from? We know this proverb, I think, quite well. Proverb 13, uh, 10, only by pride cometh, what's the word? Contention. Only by pride comes contention. Okay, so that's that's one of the uh, sources of conflict. 1 Corinthians 3 verses 1 to 4, uh, Paul chides the Corinthians because they are striving against each other. We're of Paul, we're of Apollos, and so on. And he says, you are carnal. And, and, and that, it's, he, what he's talking about there is spiritual immaturity. You haven't grown up yet. You're still acting like babies. Uh, you know, we love, we love little children, right? Till they get to bickering and they can really fight right? Over such trivial things. And, and we, we'll say to them sometimes, so why do you make such a big deal about that? You can, you can share that or you can have it for a while. And, and yet adults fight over trivial things sometimes. Spiritual immaturity. Uh, Hebrews 12, I just read those verses where it actually says pursue 
peace and holiness, which out, without which no one shall see the Lord. And he goes on to talk about this root of bitterness springing up and trouble you, and thereby many are defiled. Bitterness is often a cause of conflict. Uh, James 3, uh, where do... Uh, no, that's chapter 4. James 3, he says, The wisdom that is from above... Sorry, the wisdom that is earthly. We want to get that one for, I mean, sorry, I want to read about that one first. Um, sorry, I can't pull it back from memory here. If you have, there it is. If you have bitter envying and strife in your heart, glory not, lie not against the truth. This wisdom is not from above. It's earthly, sensual, devilish. So th this envy or jealousy, this selfish ambition is... Um, a, a root of conflict and then in the next chapter he talks about uh, he asks you know where do quarrels and fights come from and don't they come from your own desires your lusts for pleasure that war in your members you lust you do not have he goes on to talk about them being friends of the world and he says if you're friends of the world uh, you are it's enmity against God or an enemy of God and so whoever wants to be a friend of the world makes himself the enemy of God. So uh, that, that friendship with the world, that desire to be like the ones around us, um, these are one of the things that, that will cause conflict in people's lives. Now, we could look at each one of these, and uh, again, it'd be instructive for us to do this, to actually say, so where are there biblical examples of this? And if you look at the, at the first one there, at pride, <clears throat> I think about the disciples where uh, they wanted to sit one on the right and one on the left hand of Jesus. And what happened, what did the other disciples feel when, when they heard about this? It says they were indignant. They were upset. So that, that striving for the, to be the, the first uh, spiritual immaturity, we see that in the Corinthians. We could look at numerous uh, examples there of conflict, uh, root of bitterness. Actually, in that context, he talks about Esau. And he talks about the bitterness in, in Esau and where he, he, uh, he wanted to get his birthright. He couldn't have it and so on. And you, you know the tension that was then between Jacob and Esau for years uh, following that. And then in their descendants following uh, so love of pleasure, love of the world. Again, we'd see examples of that in, in Scripture, people turning away from God. And uh, these are things that cause conflict. Uh, having the wrong, desiring the wrong kinds of things, desiring to, for our, our pleasures um, and so on. So these, these are examples from the Scripture. This isn't exhaustive either. There would, there would be other things that we could say uh, likely are causes. Essentially, any time where there is sin... And selfishness, there's going to be contention. There's going to be struggle. That, that's the problem. So when sin entered the world, there was immediate alienation there from God. And God has worked at being the peacemaker to reconcile us to himself. So I'd like to shift here now and think about just uh, about conflict a bit. And, and then we want to look at uh, some thoughts on peacemaking. How can we be peacemakers? <clears throat> So some thoughts on conflict. Uh, first of all, there are different kinds of conflict. Now, I, I mentioned that there are different causes, but there are also different kinds of conflict. Um, some conflict is a result of misunderstanding. 
And one biblical example would be back when the children of Israel went into, into Canaan. And then you had the two and a half tribes that were on the other side of the river. They joined them for the, the battles. And then they went back across and they built an altar there by the, by the river. And the, the other tribes actually got together. They were going to fight these people. And they really, I mean, they had an extended speech. I mean, just come back on this side. Don't, don't sin against the Lord. And the other people waited. By the way, it's, it's a really good example. They didn't interrupt. They, they let them talk. And after they were done, they said, we didn't build this altar for worship. We built this altar so we wouldn't be separated. So our children would know that we are part of this people too. So they ended up having the same desire. And I want to say that when a conflict is simply misunderstanding, then typically you can talk it out and you learn, oh, okay, and you, you can resolve it. If it's just misunderstanding, but the often misunderstandings, uh, there are underlying issues as well. And then you, you can't resolve it just by, just by talking it out. But, you know, sometimes misunderstandings are, you know, there's a big biblical one. I remember one man told me that uh, he and his wife were at this large gathering of people. And uh, they, they both wanted to talk to people afterwards. And so they said, they agreed where they were going to meet. And so they went and talked afterwards, talked to these people. And then the man said he went over and stood where they said they were going to meet. And he waited and he waited. And he knew his wife was a good visitor, but he, he's wondering like, what is going on? Finally, he started walking around and he found her clear on the other side. And she said, where have you been? He said, well, I've been waiting on you. And he said, well, we agreed to meet over. He said, no, we agreed to meet over here. And so they had this, this misunderstanding. Fortunately, they had a good relationship and it didn't erupt into anything. But he told me, he said, I think I was still right. <laughs> misunderstanding. So that's one kind. There are material disputes. There are times when... It can be an issue of agreed upon price for something. It can be, uh, by the way, one of the places where I run into it among conservative Anabaptists is where you've got partnerships. And, and it, it actually seems like it's almost harder to divide up losses than uh, the, the assets. Uh, if, if it's made good, it, sometimes it's, not always maybe, a uh, man came to Jesus at one point talk to my brother. He's not dividing the inheritance with me. And so th those, are, those are conflicts that uh, people have. We read about it in, in the, among the Corinthians. They were actually taking each other to law over these kinds of things. So there's uh, material things. There are offenses. There are times when people do things against each other that hurt each other. Some of them are trivial. Some of them are major. And some of them really should never happen among God's people. But they do. There, there are times when these things happen. And so you can have, sometimes you've got this conflict. And, and I would say that the longer a conflict, an offense, let's say an offense, the longer an offense goes, the harder it is to actually resolve it. Because our memories, we start remembering it different. And it's, it's really tough. Some offenses are trivial. They're, they're not, not, they're unintentional. And I yeah, many of them are trivial, but they're unintentional. When we learn that they're unintentional, that helps us typically. But even then, it can be hurtful. But, you know, offenses vary significantly. I remember when I was just a young minister, I think I was ordained. Uh, anyway, I went to a minister's meeting, and uh, I didn't know the ministers all that well. There was a, 
older gentleman, well, older, he wasn't old yet, but he was older than I was. And I had known him, known his name, but didn't know him very well. And um, you folks know who are part of Midwest there that we bought that Bible school. And it, it, was, a, it was a grade school. It was an elementary school. And the, initially we sat at these tables that were made for elementary children. And so they were, they were low and they were kind of narrow. And so I remember going for breakfast one morning and I had... Um, they had juice, they, uh, tomato juice, and I enjoyed uh, different kinds of juice, and so I got tomato juice. Anyway, sat down, this brother sat down uh, opposite me, and, and he got tomato juice too. And so we ended up visiting there and so on, and, and he drank his juice, and I saved mine. I was eating my breakfast, I was going to save mine, and pretty soon he picked up my glass of tomato juice, and I watched my tomato juice go down the wrong passage. And I was too, I don't know, shy or I'm not certain what. I didn't say anything. I just kind of watched it go. And, um, you know, the, the guy was a really good man. Uh, he, he was kind of like me, absent-minded, uh, or I should say focused. Uh, but um, anyway, he was focused on talking and missed what he was doing there. I ended up working with him for years, and uh, I told him one day, I thought I ought to let him know, you know, the poor guy, he bought me a six-pack of tomato juice to make up for unintended. You know, typically, if they're unintended, we can work through it. Some are trivial, but, uh, you know, we can chuckle at tomato juice but there are offenses that happen in the brotherhood that go deep and people struggle. So I remember a man who was trying to figure out how to work out a, a, a conflict and he kept bringing stuff up. And I, I finally said, you know, so is, what, what, where are you here? What's happening? And, and he, so he, then he started talking and, and he said, well, he poked me. You know, it was, he, had, he had some things underneath, some things that he was remembering. So offenses. And then there are personal differences, opinions, even convictions that we can have that can create conflict and difficulty trying to work through. And then there's doctrinal, doctrinal issues, you know, where we believe certain things. And, and if you have people coming in, I would say, especially you're bringing in people from other traditions, other church traditions. Uh, we have a, a brother who's uh, been coming to our church and, and you know, we grew up with uh, being taught non-resistance, being taught to love our enemies. We don't go to war. We don't enter into the political scene. We don't believe in Christians taking positions that call for the use of force. It's not our realm. It's a different realm. Well, he grew up in a, in a tradition where voting was a Christian duty and, and, um, Police officers, uh, there can be just really good Christians. We actually need more Christian police officers, not not these uh, people that that have anger problems and and so on. So you, you hear the difference, and so how do you reconcile those are those are lifestyle differences, but actually doctrinal differences. These, so I'm just saying, there are different kinds of conflict, and those different kinds of conflict call for different methods. We don't use the same method. As I said, with misunderstanding, you can, you can typically uh, talk it out. Where there's been offenses, you typically have to face that, look at it. And, and uh, even if it's, 
I want to say this, if it, if as long, further in the past it is, the harder it is to actually work everything out. And almost always, if you're going to resolve unresolved conflicts or offenses from the past, there has to be forgiveness extended without everything being explained. And just, that, that's just the way it is because we will remember things differently oftentimes. So different kinds of conflict call for different methods. Uh, conflict happens on different levels. And I'd like to like just talk about levels of conflict here. So y- you can have a person who is on the surface. The, the, the things that are actually creating conflict is, is criticism. They, they've got a critical uh, attitude and they express criticism. They're constantly uh, criticizing. Well, what does that come from? Oftentimes there are inner conflicts that can be driving that critical spirit. And just wanting to uh, say here that <clears throat> if we, <clears throat> if a person has, let's just say, jealousy in their heart towards somebody else, that person gets nominated more than I do. That person gets to do things that I never get asked to do. You hear the jealousy that is there, and then that kind of jealousy can result in being critical. Now, if you just address the, the, the surface thing, and you haven't addressed what's driving it, if it's if it is something uh, down there, underneath there, you'll, all you're doing is something kind of like when you're trying to deal with weeds, you just pull the tops. If the roots are still there, it's going to come out again. It, you haven't actually dealt uh, with that. So con- conflict happens on different levels. And oftentimes the surface things are the things that are the clues for us. Oh, we need to work at this. What, what's going on here? Uh, what's happening down uh, underneath? Um, I remember an, an older man uh, that I was interacting with. I, I, he wasn't from our community, but I had meetings in his uh, congregation, and and he was sharing with me insights from the scripture. He just and he would just glow. He said, "I." God has just given me so many insights. And he said, I am so grateful. And some of the things that he shared, I was, I was amazed. I, I was blessed with some of these things that he was sharing. Uh, but he, he did not have good relationships in the church. And particularly one Sunday morning, he got up in front of the church and he proceeded to go down the list of every one of the pastors and letting the congregation know what was wrong with them. And uh, kind of going over their faults uh, to the congregation. And, um, you know, it, well, just want to say this. If any of you do that, you, um, sorry, I was going to say, I'm not going to say what I was going to say, okay? Uh, but that's not the way to have church, let's just say, all right? If you've got a problem with your, with your pastor, you can go, you should go to him. Again, the goal should be not just to say what is true. The goal should be for the good. You, you end up saying your desire is to help. It is not simply to criticize. And so the scriptures call us away from uh, criticizing. It'll use other language like evil speaking or... Um, slander or things like that but in any case with this man um, I uh, 
eventually was able to uh, sit with him. Actually, his pastors asked me to. So I sat with him and listened to him and, and so on. And, and so remember, remember how he presented this. Uh, God gives him so many insights and so on. And as I listened to him, eventually I, I started um, realizing that there's some things underneath here. And I tried to hear. I tried to understand where it was. And I finally said to him, I, are, you, are you struggling with feeling like you're about this big? And he said, yeah. Now, feeling like he's this big, he has to somehow, what does he do? So he searches the scriptures and he gets these insights and he shares these insights. And in his mind, it's hopefully getting him to, you hear, he's, he's getting bigger. And I told him, I love when people search the scriptures when they want to learn from the scriptures but if you're doing it in order to make yourself feel bigger that's not the benefit of the scripture okay it, you're not getting the the full benefit you're doing it for for some this this uh, selfish thing and i said so so then then when um this comes out if somebody doesn't agree with you or if then it's easy for you to struggle with uh, with them and so especially people who are in authority you see them as big and you're attacking them and as i talked about this it actually made sense to him and 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 he ended up uh, saying, yeah, yeah, I, I'm, I'm hearing that. And then, you know, the next morning uh, when I met with him again, he said, tell me again, like, what, what were you seeing there? And it was so foreign to him. He, he did not think of himself as searching the scriptures in order to make himself feel good. He thought he was actually searching the scriptures because uh, he loved the scriptures, but actually he loved himself too much. Okay, and, and so we had to deal, had to, to look at it, and fortunately he was, he was open to that. But you hear the difference between the underlying issue and the surface problem. You could, just, you could just deal with the surface. I could have told him, you really need to go back to your pastors and apologize for what you did. But if he hadn't dealt with the underlying issue, that would not have resolved. It had just come up in, again in, in another, another situation or another relationship. Third thing on conflict. Conflicts can detract from Jesus and sidetrack us from our mission. One of the, it's one of the dangers of conflict that we can start arguing over, over things. And, and sometimes they are, they are things that matter, even over doctrinal issues or, or whatever. But more often, more often our splitting is not, is not over doctrine. We, we end up saying, yeah, we believe, basically believe the same doctrine, but it can be over, over uh, more minor things. And in that, we start, we start struggling with, with issues. I was in a church one Sunday morning. I, I, this has been a, quite a long time ago, but I've said this a number of times, and I think I'm remembering it right. They were voting that Sunday on buttons, uh, buttons on maternity dresses. And should the buttons be on the front or on the back? And... Uh, if I remember correctly, there were men there who were saying, and I can't remember if I heard them or if other people told me about, there were men who were saying, I will not have my wife's buttons going down the back. That's immodest. And there were other men who were saying, I will not have my wife's buttons going down the front. That's immodest. 
Now, a couple of things there. Okay. Uh, first of all, buttons. I mean, when we stand before God, is he going to ask us which side of your wife were the buttons? Like, you know, we can put this in perspective. I'm not saying buttons never would be an issue, but I'm just, you hear what I'm saying? We can, we can uh, get sidetracked there. And the, the issue then in the church is which side of the buttons are you on? Like, or which side of the issue are you on? Instead of, are we devoted to Jesus? Are we really following Jesus? And actually, if you would notice, those men, if they'd have been honest, actually were agreeing with each other on the real issue. Right? They, they both are talking about modesty. Well, that's a scriptural thing. And so it would seem like something like that. You could be modest either way. That, that's, but they, they, were, they were struggling with this. And I want to say here, there, uh, again, there were underlying issues uh, in the congregation there. But sidetracking us from our mission. So we end, up, we end up not focusing on Jesus anymore, but getting us sidetracked. We're, we're, and it, I, I just want to say here, you look back over our history, and, and unfortunately, we have often been divided and even named by these issues. Are you with me? Like, so, you know, it's a lot easier to look at other groups, right? So the, the black bumper people, right? Do you hear the issue? So named after a particular issue. I'm not, I'm not trying to judge them. All I'm saying, however, is that it is so easy to get sidetracked from the things that actually, actually matter and should unite us. And it happens often when conflict is ongoing and it is not resolved. Ongoing, unresolved conflict drains vitality. If you've got a, a, a marriage where there's ongoing conflict, it's draining the vitality, the life out of that marriage. If you have a congregation where, the, where it's just ongoing, the people just keep pushing on issues, keep pushing and so on, it, it takes life. It, it saps the vitality and it's hard to come together and actually focus on on uh, worship and focus on what am I learning? What, how can we better reach into our community uh, with the gospel? We can, we can miss that as we get sidetracked with these things and especially when it is ongoing. What happens if it's ongoing is that often what you've got happening is that each, one be, each side becomes more eloquent in, in uh, articulating their position. You know, so together they talk about it and they go back and instead of thinking about, well, am I really right? Let's see. Let me seek the Lord on this. I don't know. Instead of that, we're thinking in terms of, well, that part was wrong. And so I'll find a scripture that shows that that part was wrong. You hear kind of digging in and, and um, so those are just some, some uh, thoughts on conflict, uh, helping us to understand some of the things that happen with conflict. I'd like to look now at peace. Uh, some thoughts on peace and particularly then on peacemaking. Uh, first, I want to come back again to saying God is the greatest peacemaker. And it's one of the reasons that we, you know, if we're going to be people who actually make peace, again, this comes back into our relationship with God. He will shape us that. By nature, we are children of wrath, children of conflict and children we're, we're 
birthed into this selfishness and fighting for our own ways. And so to become a peacemaker, uh, we need God. We, we come back into letting him shift and change our natural reactive responses. So we need God in this. We demonstrate that we are God's children when we pursue peace. I've already talked about that. Let's look at the next one here. I want to clarify here that when we talk about peace and making peace, we are not called to make peace with everyone at any cost or on any terms. Is that making sense? We're not just about, in fact, there was a point where Jesus said, I actually did not come to send peace on the earth, but what? A sword. Divide uh, in a family, uh, father against the son and mother against her daughter and in-laws against each other. And, but he's not saying that those things should happen in among his followers. He's saying that for people to follow him, sometimes they will actually have to divide between very close relationships. Divide from a very close relationship. So we're not called to make peace with everyone. But I want to say here that God's kind of peace calls for sacrifice. And in many ways, being a peacemaker is learning what to sacrifice for what. Again, we can look at um, God's example. What did it cost the Father to provide reconciliation for us. But Jesus knew what to sacrifice. He was willing to sacrifice comfort. He was willing to sacrifice time. He was willing to sacrifice even his own life for reconciliation, to bring about this peace with the Father and peace among his followers. <clears throat> Jesus did not sacrifice his integrity. He did not sacrifice truth. Okay, he, so, so it wasn't like peace in any way. I think the difference between sacrifice and compromise is something like this. There may be other ways of talking about the difference, but sacrifice is giving up the lesser for the greater. And you will see that Following Jesus, he calls us to sacrifice. He calls to give up things. Sacrifice is, and we do that. Maybe another way to say this is that sacrifice actually is, again, guided by our commitment to the good of others. Compromise is giving up on the greater for the lesser. And so uh, where we uh, would compromise would be on things like um, Things like Jesus is uh, the only way to be saved. Uh, that's a, that, if we would compromise that. And we can say, well, people can be Christians uh, even if they, even if they uh, don't uh, believe in Jesus. Uh, they, can, they can still be received by the Father. Well, that goes against what the scriptures say. That would be compromise. So we don't give up on the things that matter. We do give up on things that are less. And I just uh, will come to this in a moment even more, but I just want to say it now. There is no way to have Christian brotherhood without us giving some things up personally. 
That's just, we're going to do it. You have to do it. Uh, and, and again, that, that's contrary to the air in our culture. Uh, individualism where I don't, I don't want to, you know, compromise. The, uh, this is how I see things and, uh, and not willing to do that, not willing to compromise. Uh, I'd like to look at a biblical example. Um, there are times when I've been able to take more time in talking about conflict and resolution. And one of the things I find very, very instructive is going to biblical examples where there is conflict and looking at how it got resolved. And there, there are many stories and we can learn a lot from these stories. So I'm going to just take one here and have us think about this story. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Acts 15. I'm going to be referencing some of the, some of the uh, verses here in Acts 15, the question that they were dealing with was, do the Gentiles need to be circumcised to be saved? And there were strong, there were really strong opinions here. We, we don't face this. And did, did you ever notice that, that it, we tend to look at other people's conflicts and, and we see the solution and think, well, why don't they just, Right? Okay. In fact, I've thought we could solve most of our problems if we could just trade problems because we usually have the answer for other people's, right? And so if we could just trade problems, we could, we could solve things pretty quick. Anyway, my point here is that we don't face this issue, okay? Which actually probably enables us to look at it more objectively. But when they were in it, this was a big issue for the Jewish people to think about uh, greeting Gentile Gentile people who were not circumcised, who didn't follow the law and call them brothers and sisters and eat with them and fellowship with them. I mean, this was a big, a big issue. It was a big issue the other way also because the Gentiles really did not care for the Jews. I mean, the animosity went both ways. Jesus came preaching peace, he proclaiming peace, and Jesus brought the Jews and the Gentiles together. It's one of the most amazing re human reconciliation, I think, in, that we know of. Uh, but it happens, it continues to happen uh, in, in a variety of ways today where Jesus does this. What I want to note here in this conflict, I'm not going to read the whole, the, the account. What I am going to do is point to different things in the account. I think it's familiar enough for us. What I want you to note is some of the things that, that were necessary or that were significant in resolving the conflict. First thing that I would note here is the place of leadership. So right there in verse 2, we're in Acts 15, verse 2. Therefore, when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute. Now, that's kind of a neat way to say it. it saying it positively is they had a big dissension, okay? And dispute with them on this issue. They determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. So I want you to notice here the importance, the place of leadership. They were looking to the leaders to guide. How do we deal with this? The apostles and elders are going to look to. And, um, and as you go down through the account, these leaders are the ones who, who led the discussion. Okay, so they saw to it that they, we have to face this issue. They led the discussion. They also are the ones who finally then came back with a proposal for resolving the issue. So I'm just, I'm not saying that leaders always have to do these things. I'm just saying leadership was important in resolving this, this uh, 
issue. The second thing I note here is the listening that happened. And uh, you look at verse 4. Well, you'll you notice that they had had a lot of dissension and so on before. But verse 4, and when they had come to Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostle and elders. So there you see the leaders again. And they reported all things that God had done with them. So here's Paul and Barnabas. They're given a report. Okay, so th there's listening to this report. I should insert here that you'll note also in the verse that I just read that the church was there as well. It wasn't just the leaders. So, so the church was involved also. In verse 5, it goes on to say, But some of the sect of the Pharisees who believed rose up, saying, It is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. So these are, these are Pharisees who believed. Okay, They believed in Jesus. They're, they're brothers. They've apparently been baptized. But, boy, we, we really need to get them to be circumcised and follow the law. So you've got, Paul speaking, you've got the, the other side speaking, verse 7, and when there had been much dispute, Peter rose up and said to them, men and brethren, and then Peter uh, gives input there. What I want you to notice is that, is that there is opportunity here for all of the positions to be laid out. They, they, they give that opportunity. There's listening that is, is happening, and you'll... Um, Yes, yeah, so uh, in, in a, uh, we see this in other examples as well, that typically in these situations, they let the people speak their, uh, what they had to say. Uh, so they gave them time. And then uh, the other side would, would share what they have. A third thing that I note here in resolving this is that Scripture is used. Um, so you'll note that um, James... Uh, refers to scripture. Now, Peter uh, referenced a time when God uh, poured out his spirit on the Gentiles and made no distinction between Jews and Gentiles, circumcised or uncircumcised. So he, he brought that significant revelation time in, but then James quotes scripture. Uh, and so down in verse 15, and with this, the words of the prophets agree. So he, he says uh, what Peter experienced was actually prophesied by the prophets uh, with the Gentiles coming in. Verse 16, after this I will return, we'll rebuild the tabernacle of David that has fallen down, build up its ruins. And then verse 17, so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord who does all these things. So James brings in scripture. And so they're looking at uh, what does scripture have to say to this issue of the Gentiles and what should be required of them. Uh, there is another one here then that is not, I, I'm putting it in because I think it's implied. Okay, it's, we don't have record of them praying. But it does, seem, it does seem to be implied, and the place where I would especially note it is in the, um, in the letter that they wrote then, the conclusion, you'll notice down in verse 28, uh, what the proposal included these words, for it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. Uh, it would seem there that that reflects that they opened themselves to God's Spirit to speak to them. 
to give them some kind of guidance. My assumption is that after they heard these things, they had a time of prayer. And what is the Lord saying to us? What, what are we hearing from God's Holy Spirit? So there's, again, this is an implied one. I would, I would assume that it happened. Uh, a fifth thing that I would notice is it, it seems like they, they come to a consensus. And the, the consensus is, is not necessarily where everybody saw it the same, but they work at it and try to get a proposal, a solution here that captures what the scriptures say as well as the concerns that they are hearing. Okay, so they're, they're listening, they're trying, they're, they're not just discarding uh, one side or whatever, but they come to a consensus. And so they, their, their uh, proposal actually does have a number of things from the law. Okay, so there are a number of things which indicates that they're not saying that the law is bad. They're not saying that the things in the law are wrong, what they, but they are going to stop short of saying that the Gentiles have to be circumcised, okay, and that they have to keep all the law as, as the Jews uh, may have continued doing. So there's this, this coming to a consensus. You'll notice in verse 22, if we go back, it says, then it pleased the apostles and elders with the whole church. Okay, so after working on these things, it pleased them. Uh, th- this, uh, I want to say, this is after the proposal had been given. The pr- proposal is given in verse 19 and 20. Uh, James giving this proposal. And um, then it says, it pleased the apostles and elders in the whole church. They came to this, to this saying, okay, this, this is going to work. And so there's, there's this consensus that they come to. And I want to point out here that the same group that is named here, the apostles and elders with the whole church, same group that is mentioned back in verse 4, where Paul, they got together. It was the, elder, the apostles, the elders, and the whole church uh, were together there. And the uh, sixth thing that I would note here is submission then. That there is a, there's a yielding to this. Now, what is, what is interesting here is that this proposal actually affected not only the group at Jerusalem. They went to uh, verse 30. So they, they wrote the letter. They actually wrote out what James had proposed And then verse 30, it says, so when they were sent off, they came to Antioch. Antioch, there there were a few people who had come as representatives with Paul and Barnabas. Okay, it says a number of people came. But they came to Antioch, and when they had gathered the multitude together, they delivered the letter. The multitude that was gathered together were not all at Jerusalem. Okay, they had sent and asked them, help us to understand this issue. It came back to them. And instead of people rising up and saying, well, if that's the decision, I'm not, they, they, they accepted this. Verse 31, when they had read it, they rejoiced over its encouragement. You hear that? They, there's this, this submission to it. Okay, they've made a decision. Let's go with this. Um, you'll also note uh, chapter 16 
uh, Paul and Barnabas, well, Barnabas and Paul have a split here at the end of the chapter. And that's, by the way, that's another conflict that it, we could look at. We can learn some things from that. I'm not going to tonight. But chapter 16, uh, they, Paul heads out and uh, Silas goes with him. And they go to, to different uh, cities where Paul had been before. And they talk to these people and deliver the same conclusions that were made at Jerusalem to them. And you'll notice here back in verse, or in verse 4, as they went through the cities, they delivered to them the decrees to keep, which were determined by the apostles and elders at Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in number daily. You see this submission to the decision that had been made rather than continuing to struggle. Now, we sometimes, you know, we, we can't go to Jerusalem. Uh, we can't go to uh, James and Peter and ask them about the things that we struggle with. And so sometimes we struggle with things and sometimes we don't know for sure. Should we ask this? Should we, should we decide on this? One of the issues our congregation is working on is, is the issue of, of a place. We're crowding our facility. We're over the, the capacity that is, uh, I don't know if it's posted, but maximum occupancy is, you know, we're over that. And every Sunday it seems, and we're pushing. And so we looked at, should we build? We looked at, should we divide? We looked at, should we try to find another one? And we finally decided we're not ready to divide the group. And so we're going to add on. So we decided we'll go ahead, but we'll still keep our eyes open. Well, wouldn't you know, there's a church building that came up for sale. And we've been, I think, over a year now trying to wrestle with that. Should we buy it? This Sunday, our congregation met in that building uh, doing a test drive. Uh, okay, so for the next three Sundays, we're, we're doing that. Should, should we go ahead with this? Well, we can't go to Jerusalem and ask Peter and Paul, you know, should we, should we do this or not? Um, now, here's the thing. There, there are some differences of ideas among our congregation. Uh, I, I actually don't know for sure if the building fits us. Okay, it's, it's a building that we would not build like this. I mean, it's got these really nice high cathedral ceilings. It's got stained glass windows. It's got a huge pipe organ. It's, uh, and I wondered, you know, does it really fit us? And, but we, can, we should be able to worship anywhere, right? Right? Yeah, okay, thank you. Okay. But there are ways in which I could wish something else for the group. I, I tend to wonder if we wouldn't be better just to say, you know, the size. We started out a lot smaller and maybe, you know, go to have, have another group start off. But if I insist on my way, what's going to happen? You hear? And I have, I've told the people, you know, uh, leaders and trustees are working on this and I've told them what I think and uh, but I've also told them what the church decides we're going to support we're going to be in there we're going to the the reality is folks that the church is not infallible in its decisions any more than parents are sometimes parents Christian parents they realize after you know five years later that that was really not a good decision okay 
but we still expect our family to stay together and work on it. We learn those things, and sometimes in, in differences, um, we actually, uh, in, instead of joining in and saying, okay, if that's where the congregation is, you know, if the congregation makes a, an unwise decision, well, typically, there's going to be res results of that. There are going to be some things we'll bump into if it isn't a wise decision. But if we're together and working on it, then we can actually self-correct. We can say, oh, you know what? Maybe we should have reconsidered there. And that's, that's a, the, uh, this biblical example helps me to realize that when we have strong opinions, it's better to look at what is best for the group. What will enable this group to grow? So learning from this example, those are some of the thoughts that I have. I want to bring us back to the opening verse that we looked at this evening. I want to say, folks, blessed, blessed are the peacemakers. And I wonder what Jesus would say in opposite ways. Sometimes he did, but what would he say to those who are conflict makers? Just regularly stirring up conflict makers. Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. They shall be called the children of God. I do want to say that it's been a joy to be with you. We have really enjoyed. Thank you for the box or basket of goodies that you put together for us. Thank you for having us in your homes. And um, I'd like to pray yet, but I want to give you uh, the blessing then of Paul that he gave to the Ephesian elders. But let's pray here. Our Father, thank you for calling us into your family. Forgive us where we have not contributed to peace. Uh, forgive us, Lord, where we have um, made it difficult for brothers and sisters, for leaders. I ask that you would fill this congregation with your spirit and enable them to pull together, to be willing to give up minor things in order to experience the presence of Jesus here, to together discern his mind, Lord, for the, the community, for what you want from the Sandy Ridge congregation. And I ask it in Christ's name. Amen. So now, in the words of Paul, brothers and sisters, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them that are sanctified. God bless you.